Okay, so we are going through the 13 principles of faith, the Yud Gimel Ikre Emuna. And we already went through the basic 13. Um, before we start breaking them up and going one by one, I just wanted to touch on a few more general points that relate to all 13 together. Okay, so first of all, very, very quickly, I know you have notes here. Very quickly, let's run through the 13. It's giving them like one or two words per principle. Number one is the existence of Hashem. Number two is Hashem's oneness. Number three is that he has no body of any form. Number four is that he's the original being, the only original being. Number five, that he's the one who we should be serving. Those are the first five. Then we had the truth of Nevoah, that there's prophets. That's number six. The prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu, how that's above any other type of prophecy, was number seven. Um, the fact that Torah is from heaven. Every word of Torah is from heaven is number eight. Um, the everlasting nature of Torah was number nine. Um, the fact that Hashem... I'm sorry? Okay, one second, I'm just checking that. Go ahead. Okay, so far so good. Yes. Um, the fact that Hashem knows everything that goes on in, in the world at any, in any point, in any given time, is number 10. Reward and punishment, number 11. Good deeds are rewarded, bad is punished, is number 11. 12 is the coming of Mashiach. And 13 is the resurrection of the dead. Tchia Samesim. That, in very, very short, is the 13 principles of faith, the way the Rambam um, breaks them up. Um, so, one quick point is there are a couple of uh, ideas that would seem to be principles of faith that are seemingly missing from this list. If you think about those 13 principles, what other basic ideas that would seem to be principles of faith might one ask seem to be missing from this list? So I'll mention three. Um, and this is brought in Sfarim. They talk about this. One is the concept of Bechira Chavshis. Bechira Chavshis, we know Rambam writes about that extensively, how that's a really important basic principle of our faith, that every person has freedom of choice um, to choose good and to choose bad. Um, Rambam writes, one should never say, well, I was born in a way that I have to be bad. Or that person was born in a way that they have to be good. Um, a, a basic principle of Torah is that every person has the ability to choose good or bad. So here the question is, why isn't that one of the principles of faith? Um, why are we stuck on 13? Why shouldn't there be a 14th of Bechira Chavshis, a freedom of choice? And the answer given is that really that is included in one of the existing 13. Um, would I, does anyone want to guess? Which one of the existing 13... Yeah is the one that really includes the principle of freedom of choice. Reward and punishment? Excellent. Excellent. If I, I would be giving out points. Um, reward and punishment. Because you can't reward or punish if a person didn't choose. In other words, if a person was born to be bad, it wouldn't be right or fear to punish them. It's not their fault. If a person is born to be good, then why are they deserving of reward? That's just the way Hashem made them. The fact that Hashem punishes and rewards means that we are responsible for what we do and we are worthy if we choose to do good and we are worthy of punishment if we choose to do bad. And therefore the Sfarim writes that although the words freedom of choice are perhaps not um, stated in the 13 principles of faith, but they're totally included in the principle that Hashem rewards and punishes, meaning, again, that we are held accountable that we don't have to be bad and we don't have to be good, that's up to us, 
and therefore that makes us worthy of punishment or reward. So that's how that one is answered. The other one is, what about Hashgacha Pratis? Um, we talk always about Hashgacha Pratis, the story I just told is all about Hashgacha Pratis, divine providence. Why isn't Hashgacha Pratis in there? so important, and we talk about it, we believe in it, and everything, you know, everything is always exactly the way Hashem wants it. Um, why isn't Hashgacha Pratis mentioned in the list of the principles? Because it's part of another one too. And again, the answer is going to be that that is included in one of the existing 13 principles, and that's going to be principle number 10, ten good, <laughs> yeah. which is Hashem's knowledge of everything. In other words, Hashem's knowledge is not a passive knowledge. Like, okay, he's sitting somewhere and watching uh, you know, the script of the world. Hashem's, Hashem's knowledge is a knowledge that is an involved knowledge. Right? You have um, real knowledge. is not just, okay, I know. You know, they say, you know, something's going on wrong, and I say, oh, I know about it. What are you, what are you doing about it? Right? So Hashem's knowledge is not just a knowledge of someone from the outside who's just watching. Hashem's knowledge is a knowledge that's involved in what's going on in creation. In other words, Hashem's knowledge is because there's an involvement, because everything is connected to Him, and that's why that's why a basic part of the tenet of belief that Hashem knows everything going on is that Hashem is involved in orchestrating what's going on, though not orchestrating our choices. That goes back to the other point. Bechiro, when it comes to our choices for good or bad, that's ours. But the fact of bringing things together and where they go and how they go and so on and so forth, all of that is included in number 10 as well. So that's as far as that. And one more like that, and that is, one might ask, there's a major one missing, and that is that Hashem created the world. Where does, you know, I mean, that's pretty big. That God created this world. Where in the 13 principles of faith does it say that God created this world? Again, it will take you, take you one minute, but if you look through the numbers, you'll find it pretty quickly, I think. The exactly, and that's number four, that he's a kadmon, that he's the initial entity. The initial entity, and nothing else is a kadmon. That means that everything has him before them. And that means that he is the one from which everyone else comes. So again, the, the words Bria, that he's the creator, doesn't say, as you know, it's not spelled out as one of the 13th, but what the Svarim are suggesting, I mean, no one knows this for sure, you know, the Rambam is the one who codified this, and the Rambam decided which words he put in and which not, but if one were to ask, so where does it say Hashem created the world? So what's suggested in Svarim is that that's um, included in Iker, in the principle number four, that Hashem is the Kadmon, um, which we said was based on a Pasuk, Ma'ona Eloke Kedem, that Hashem is the first initial being, and all other beings are dependent on His being and His existence. That includes the concept of Bria, that Hashem created the world as well. So those are three points that, again, we always sort of throw them around as principles, the concept of Bechirah Chavshis and, and Bria Shemayim Varetz and the concept of, um, of Hashgacha Pratis. But what we, uh, what we explained over here is that they are really included within the existing 13, and therefore Rambam didn't broaden that to 14 and 15 and 16. Why couldn't Hashem be first, and then there's Darwin's theory? Like, it's not part of the same thing anyway, because it's like a chain reaction from the original creation. It isn't, a, it isn't a separation. Maybe to me, it's not. Um, I can't answer about Darwin's theory because I'm not exactly sure about how that works. But Hashem being the first is that Hashem is the only first. Nothing else 
was always there. Everything had to start somewhere. I believe every other theory has to start from somewhere. Right? If Hashem is the only thing that was always and everything had to start later, then where did it start from? Well, maybe it starts from Yeshmeyayin also. Okay, Yeshmeyayin. Well, Yeshmeyayin means yeah. that there's someone who's making it Yeshmeyayin. Yeshmeyayin means that there's someone... A there's a creator who created it Yeshmeyayin. That's Hashem. So Hashem is the Kadmon. Hashem was always here and he creates the rest of everything Yeshmeyayin. So Yeshmeyayin feeds right into that there's a Kadmon who is creating Yeshmeyayin or Ex Nihilo or however it said, something from nothing and that's Hashem. So that's how these three things are explained. Okay. Um, I want to do two, two very beautiful that I found fascinating things about the 13 principles of faith and how they connect um, to two very central parts of our whole Yiddishkeit. One idea that I'm going to tell you is from the Alshich. That's the first one, Rabbi Moshe Alshich. Rabbi Moshe Alshich was one of the great sages who lived. Um, he passed away. The time of Arizal, right? He was in the same time as the Arizal and Rabbi Yosef Cairo. He was a disciple of Rabbi Yosef Cairo. Um, he lived in Sfas at the end of his life. Um, and I'm quite sure that he's buried in Sfas, in the same cemetery as the Arizal, Rabbi Yosef Cairo, all those greats. Um, he passed away uh, over over 400 years ago, um, just over 400 years ago, and uh, very tremendous tzaddik and a very brilliant writer. Um, many call, he's called by some, the Al-Sheikh HaKadosh, the Holy Al-Sheikh. Um, he was the, in the shul in Sfas, in that time, when you had all the greatest Jews in the world really lived in Sfas at the time. So the Rav of Sfas was Rabbi Yosef Cairo, who just wrote nothing less than the Shulchan Aruch. And the Arizal was the mystic, and the Al-Sheikh was known as the Darshan. He would give, in the shul, he would give drushes on Shabbos. And um, tremendous drushes that became the bedrock of his book, his Sefer on Torah, which he called... Um, Torah Moshe. Yeah, he called it Torah Moshe. But it's just called the Al-Sheikh. Right? Everyone's just called the Al-Sheikh. And in his book of Al-Sheikh, on the, um, in the Torah portion of Yisro, where we have the giving of Torah... He goes through and explains how during the giving of Torah, the Jews perceived all 13 principles of faith. He says that was the greatest revelation of godliness to mankind. And therefore at that time, the Jewish people were able to see, or get a glimpse, or get a, some, some level of confirmation, if you will, of all the 13 principles of faith. And he goes through them one by one. So I, I want to go through it quickly. He says like this. The first principle of faith is the existence of Hashem. Well, he says, that's easy. There's no other time in creation that we came face to face with the existence of Hashem like by the giving of Torah. That was the greatest revelation of Hashem ever to be beforehand and ever to be later. Hashem revealed himself. As the Pasuk says, Ponim bipanim dibar Hashem, that Hashem talked to us face to face. So we became most aware of the existence of Hashem. So that's they died when they first started, right? Yeah, we'll get to, we'll get to that too, but but they perceived it. So that's number one. It says the first the principle is the existence of Hashem. That existence was revealed to us by the giving of Torah. Okay, principle number two is the oneness of Hashem. Achdus Hashem. Where do we have that concept of achdus of Hashem by Matan Torah? So he says he says a few points. The first the first pasuk of of uh, Matan Torah is. I am your God that took you out of Egypt. 
So Rashi says there was no echo. There was no like. Also, the way Hashem's voice was heard. Right. Right. So we'll get to that. But first, he says something else. The first thing he says is Hashem says, "I'm the one who took out of Mitzrayim." Why does he make that point? Because he says, when you saw me taking out of Mitzrayim, I looked like a uh, um, like a warrior fighting the Mitzrayim. Now I look like a loving father. He says, Anochi, it's all one. There's no differences. Sometimes I appear this way, sometimes I appear that way. But it's the same Hashem, never make a mistake. That's the, that's the concept of Achdus Hashem, the oneness of Hashem, that he might appear this way, he might appear that way. Ultimately, it's fully one. Um, that's the first point. And the next point is, as you mentioned, that there was no echo even by the giving of Torah. Why no echo? So to be clear, there's only one entity. There's only one Hashem. There's not. There's nothing else. There's no echo. There's no second sound. There's no malach. Hashem talked to them directly. That was the oneness of Hashem. So that's how the second principle was um, shown to them at that point. The third principle is, I'm, I'm moving along quickly, but because we want to cover this, the third principle is that there is no body. That Hashem has no form and body. Where by Matan Torah did Hashem exhibit this lack of body? He says an interesting angle, because we have by Matan Torah an interesting thing that Hashem said words together that a human body cannot say together. For example, we have the you know the give the Torah the Ten Commandments are written twice in the Torah. One in Yisro, one in Ve'eschanon. One time it says Zachor Esyom Hashabbos. Remember the day of Shabbos. And one time it says, Shamor, guard Shabbos. So which one did Hashem say? So it says, he said both together. That's something that the body can't do. Either I'm saying this word or that word. Says the Alshech, that's where Hashem showed them his lack of body and lack of the limitations of a body that certain things that physically, either I'm saying that or that, in Hashem's way of saying it, that doesn't constitute any contradiction because of his lack of any form of body. So that's how the third of the principles was expressed by Matan Torah. Number four is that Hashem is the one we should be serving. Says Al-Sheikh, that's, Hashem says, Anochi Hashem alokecha, asher me'eretz Mitzrayim. Says, I've taken you out of Egypt. What Hashem was saying was, I've shown to you that the power of Egypt, which is very powerful, in no way can hold you. The Tsar, the minister of Egypt, the spiritual uh, minister of Egypt, is also under me. I am the only one who you should be serving. I took you out of any other um, do, do, uh, domains or any other ministers. Uh, uh, I believe Rashi says, therefore it's, it's worthy you should serve me. I showed you that I am the one who's taking care of you and no one else is able. I am the one who should be served. That is number five. Is that correct? Or did I skip one? Yeah, you skipped You're right. I skipped I skipped four. Thank you very much. Um, okay, I'm sorry for that. And the reason I skipped it is because it comes from the same verse. Um, Hashem says, I took you out of Mitzrayim. When I took you out of Mitzrayim, I showed you my full dominion over the world, um, over any form of nature. The miraculous um, form, how they came out of Mitzrayim, the ten, the ten plagues and Kriyas Yamsuf and all that, um, never in history before or after was there such a display of Hashem's total mastery over anything in nature. And anything that natural nature says one way, Hashem said differently, and the water turned to blood, and the frogs came, and the animals died, and, and the hail and the fire. It was just 
one after another, where Hashem exhibited that everything in nature is totally subservient to Him. Um, says says Al Sheikh that that was the sh- that Hashem's way of showing them that He is before anything. Everything else is only servants of Him, and therefore He is a Kadmon. He is the initial entity. So that is the five. Again, well, because I said five first. Five, I took you out of the shrine, and therefore you should serve me because I took you out of from under any other sar or any other domain that I am the only one who you should be serving. So that's the first five. His existence, he showed it to them. The oneness, it's the same Hashem. Nobody, Zohar v'shamor. Um, the initial entity, everything else is subservient to him. And I am the one you should be, who you should serve because I took you out of Mitzrayim. That is the first five. Okay, number six. Prophecy, okay? And by Matan Torah, everyone was a prophet. The concept of Hashem talking to human beings, by Matan Torah, they were all able to actually see that were because at in some level, everyone was really uh, meriting prophecy when the Torah was given. That's number <coughs> six. Number seven, how Moshe Rabbeinu's nevuah is on a whole different level than everyone else's, by Matan Torah. As much as everyone heard Hashem, but they died. They couldn't handle it. Only Moshe Rabbeinu, because of his tremendous level of spirituality and connection to Hashem, was able to continue, stand there and prophesize and say all that, and even when everyone else was dying, Moshe Rabbeinu continued, that talked about the superiority of the nevuah of Moshe Rabbeinu. Could you say that again? Yes, starting from where? Starting from number six. Okay. No, 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 no. Uh, number seven. Okay, seven. six and seven is prophecy and Moshe's prophecy. Right, Moshe's prophecy. So prophecy because Hashem talked to them. Yeah. And Moshe's prophecy because as much as Hashem talked to everyone, but they all couldn't handle it. Right. Right, everyone dies and then they come to Moshe and say, you continue talking to Hashem. Uh-huh. So at that point they saw that Moshe's level of nevuah is beyond anyone else's. Even the greatest Sadiqim, even Aaron and Miriam, no one was able to withstand that level of revelation and Moshe was. That is... Um, that's the Nevoah of Moshe, which is number seven. Um, number eight is the easiest. Um, that Torah min Hashemayim. Well, they saw Torah min Hashemayim. That's what Matan Torah was. That Hashem came down and told them Torah from heaven. So that's the obvious. Uh, that one doesn't need any form of explanation whatsoever. And interestingly, Alshich says the ninth one also, which is the everlasting nature of Torah. He says... The, when they saw the way Hashem said the Torah himself, it was perfectly evident that this can never be changed by man. When, when you fully grasp the concept that it's Hashem talking and Hashem talking and everyone is totally uh, uh, nullified by Hashem's will, they rec- it's fully um, the, the full recognition that this is something that is totally unchangeable whatsoever, and therefore that covers number nine as well. Just because he said so? Yeah, because if Hashem is saying that and he saw the majesty and the revelation of Hashem, so that's obviously something, not something that we can sit around and uh, have a you know board meeting and decide maybe we'll make an amendment to one of the mitzvahs. When you see the grand revelation of Hashem himself saying it, you recognize how silly it is to think that, that uh, finite human beings can change a mitzvah or change any detail of what Hashem himself commanded. That's number nine. Number ten is the knowledge of Hashem, of everything going on in earth, on this world, as we explained, that Hashem is not somewhere up in the heaven and, and uh, on vacation, but Hashem is fully um, engaged and involved. Where do they see that by Matan Torah? 
because they saw all the great grand revelation of Hashem came down here to this earth. Hashem wasn't somewhere up above, like just hearing us a, a, a sound from the heavens. Um, it says, Kolo min hashamayim, the voice that's normally in heaven, shil shilo ad ha'aretz. Hashem brought it down to the top of the mountain and the fire came down to the top of the mountain. So they saw that concept that Hashem doesn't remain aloof and separate, but rather He comes down to teach and to reveal in a revealed form down here. That is that principle of Hashem's involvement in this world and knowledge in every detail of creation as well. So that is number 10. Which brings us to, are we good? Okay, which brings us to number 11, which is schar and onish, punishment and reward. Where was that evidenced in the story of Matan Torah, says the Al-Sheikh? Because Hashem says, Asher Mitzrayim, I took you out of Egypt. Which means, I, I, I destroyed Egypt and I took you out. Why? So I destroyed Egypt because they were evil. Because they were evil, because they were wicked, because they they caused uh, they were mass murderers and they caused the slavery of the Jewish people for hundreds of years in a torturous way. So they were destroyed. That was their punishment. And I took you out as a reward, a reward for a. First of all, you have the avos and the, all the tzaddikim that preceded you, Shevet Levi, who kept that amuna. And for everyone, we know that right before they left Egypt, Hashem gave us two special mitzvahs to do, in order to make ourselves worthy of that final reward. And that was the Karban Pesach and the Bris Mila. That all, all of the all the Jewish people had the Karban Pesach right before they left, and all the men had the Bris Mila right before they left. Um, they didn't have Bris Mila before? No, aside from the tribe of Levi, no. From Mo, Mo, because they were in Egypt, and they were slavery, and the slaves in Egypt, and they didn't do it. The tribe of Levi always kept holy, even in Egypt. Even in Egypt. Never, they also they weren't part of the bondage. The traveling was in a whole different bracket because they were studying Torah, they were in the yeshiva, they were not enslaved by the Egyptians. That's why afterward, uh, Yaakov says, I mean, beforehand, Yaakov says, Levi's going to be the teachers of the Jewish people, and they were, that's the Kohanim, and so on and so forth. So, basically, says Al-Sheikh, we have punishment for the Egyptians for their wicked behaviors, and reward for the Jewish people, <coughs> Brismila, Karban Pesach, Avos, Sadikim. So both uh, reward and punishment are very much expressed in the idea of the Jewish people going out of Mitzrayim and the Mitzrayim being destroyed in Mitzrayim. So that is number 11. Number 12 is Mashiach. Where is Mashiach in the story of Matan Torah? So I'll say it from the Al Shikh. Al says, at that point, Hashem opened the heavens, Shemaim, Ushmea, Shemaim, the heavens and all heavens. Vehera es kevodo. We saw the complete glory of Hashem. We saw the glory of Hashem. Just as it will be when Mashiach will come, as the Pasuk says in Yeshayo, Venigla kevod Hashem vero kol basar yachtov. That the time of the coming of Mashiach is the time when Hashem's glory will be perceived by all mankind. That was perceived by the Jewish people in Matan Torah. So that's what the Alshech writes. I'll just add that in Tanya, the Alter Rebbe, chapter 36, writes that there was one time in history that the world had the revelation of Mashiach, and that is by Matan Torah. That Matan Torah, the, the, the Tanya chapter 36, Alter Rebbe writes, um, when he talks about the coming of Mashiach, and he talks about that, that being the ultimate goal, where Hashem will be revealed in the entire world, that Hashem will be revealed in the entire world, says the Alter Rebbe, that during the time of giving of Torah was the only time in history till now 
that we had, this world had that level of revelation as will be when Mashiach will come. So the question is, um, the Pasuk says, Torah chadosha mi'iti teitse. It says that when Mashiach comes, it will be a new Torah. So does, doesn't that seem to say that it's something different? So that's a great question. That's a Pasuk. And Hasidus says, Torah chadasha was also given by Matan Torah. It just, we won't, it won't be fully revealed until Mashiach will come. There's not going to be a new Matan Torah when Mashiach comes. New for us, but not... Right. New, new ideas in Torah will be revealed. And that's why like, the whole idea of Hasidus is a revelation that we're getting more and more revelations and getting ready for Mashiach. But it's not, it's not new. It's new for us because it's being revealed. But that basic revelation of Hashem and His Torah was by Matan Torah, and that was Me'en, that was similar to what will be when Mashiach will come. It's happening in stages already. Correct. That's so right. that's Chassidus. That's, that's what Chassidus came out. Yeah, Chassidus is a t- is written as a teima, as a taste of the uh, of the sodos of Torah, the uh, mm-hmm. the secrets of Torah. When uh, in the uh, beginning of Shir Hashirim, in the first pasuk, it says Yashikenu Yashikenu pihu that Hashem kisses us. What's the divine kiss? Says Rashi, Gilu sodos Torah, the revelation of the secrets of the Torah. That's the divine kiss that will be in its fullest sense of revelation when Mashiach will come. So that is how principle 11 was expressed by Matan Torah. In principle 12, that is. Mashiach is Matan Torah. And principle 13 is an easy one. How was resurrection of the dead in that time? Because there was resurrection of the dead. The Padre Gemara says that um, that the Jewish people all died because of the tremendous revelation. And then the words of the Gemara is, Hechazero, uh, um, Hashem returned their souls. Betal techia with the dew of resurrection. Sha'asid lahachayos bo esamesim. The same dew that Hashem is going to use to do techia esamesim when Mashiach will come was used one time already when we passed away. When Hashem gave us the Torah at Har Sinai. Did he die when he just said the word Anochim something like that? What it says? Yeah, the first, the first of the commandments, and then again by the second of the commandments, twice. And then um, after the second is when they come to Moshe Rabbeinu and they say, you please talk to Hashem, you know, this is it's really not good for the heart, this dying and resurrecting and dying and resurrecting, it uh, can cause all types of complications. It's uh, not healthy, so they, they had enough. But be that as it may, so this is a beautiful idea of the Al-Sheikh, he, he says it in pages long, I said it in short, but he goes through, he says that the 13 principles of the faith of the Rambam were shown to us. And that's the why Matan Torah, one of the reasons Matan Torah is this great time of the ultimate revelation of the Jewish people, is when we were actually able to experience those 13 principles that are the principles of faith. That is one idea that I wanted to share with you. One more idea that I want to share with you in a similar vein comes from another great tzaddik in a similar time who lived a short time after the Al-Sheikh, and that is, the, he's known by the name of his book, the Shallah HaKadosh, the Holy Shallah. Um, his name was Rabbi Shaya Halevi Horowitz. Um, my wife's family comes from him. Um, and he lived just before the Baal Shem Tov, some 300 years ago, 350 years ago. Um, and he wrote a book which he called Shnei Luchos Habris, the two uh, tablets of the covenant. And that is a Kabbalistic, primarily Kabbalistic work. And it's very much the book, the writings of Tanya are very much based on the words of the Shallah, one of the great Sadiqim. And he writes... He's also HaKadosh. And he's also called HaKadosh by many, right? They call it Shalah HaKadosh. Right? There's a few people that are called HaKadosh. Yeah, the Shalah, the Al-Shif, the Rachaim. 
Um, some people call it Ariya Kadosh. A few, yeah. a few of the great Sadiqim. Yeah, Ariya heard Ariya Kadosh that I've heard. A few of the great Sadiqim are called Kadosh. So the Shalah is, is going to show us how the 13 principles of faith are connected to the Yud Gimel Midos Harachamim. We know there's 13. <laughs> there are 13 um, what's it called? Me- measures of Hashem's Rachamim, Hashem's mercy, Hashem's benevolence. We know that in very special times, we say the Yud Gil Midas Arachamim. Um, we don't, we'll only say it when we're the minion. Um, like on Yom Kippur, we're saying it a lot of times, and in Slichas, we're saying it, and so on. And that is, it's in the Siddur, Hashem, Hashem, Kel, Rachum, Vachanun, Erach, Apayim, Rav, Chesed, Ve'emes, right? There, there's 13 um, measures of Hashem's Rachamim, and Hashem taught that to Moshe Rabbeinu when the Jewish people sinned. Um, Moshe used it after the Egel. Uh, Moshe uses it basically um, by the Miraglim, but that's it's the most powerful tefillah that we have. The most powerful tefillah that we have to evoke Hashem's mercy. The 13 um, measures of Hashem's uh, rachamim. And there's a lot of Kabbalah about the Yud Gilom Bidas Rachamim. Um, Kabbalah has a lot to say about Yud Rachamim. Um, in uh, you know, Kabbalah, one of the interesting things that Kabbalah does is that it connects all these different levels of Hashem to like parts of a body. Because the, the man is created in the image of Hashem, and and somehow the different parts, like the right arm and the left arm, is Chesed and Givura, and there's a lot of Kabbalah and connecting that. And the Yud Gil and Midas Harachamim are connected to 13 strands of the divine beard. The divine beard, a beard. Now, I, I, obviously, we're not talking about anything physical, right? One of the 30 principles is nothing physical, but somehow, and that's why, especially Kabbalistically, a man should not sh- uh, shave his beard. Um, has a lot to do. There's halachic angles to it, but the Kabbalistic angle has to do with the 13, that there's 13 strands of here in the beer that are connected with the 13 Yudgil Midas We don't know which they are. Well, most of us don't. But there, there, there was a disciple of the Arizal that was so spiritually in tune that he knew which were the 13, so he trimmed around them. Um, but this is not something that's uh, suggested. Um, be that as it may. So our, our time is short, but... That is the, Kab- the Kabbalistic perfect. reason. Again, there's halachic issues. You're not to totally shave a beard is halachically forbidden. Yeah. You're not supposed to use a razor to your right. face. Right. Not not supposed to. It's a it's a say. It's a it's a uh, it's one of the um, yeah, negative commandments. If you only trim or whatever it is, but Kabbalistically you don't touch it, right? But Hasidim and according which is based on Kabbalah will not touch their beard at all, and that is because the beard is considered a very powerful conduit connected to the Yud Gilim Midasarachanim. Um, the rabbi told many people who asked him, you know, for brachas for parnasa and so on and so forth. He says, grow the beard. That will be a, um, a bracha for parnasa because that's where the rachamim comes from. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, so, um, but again, I want to zoom into this and do this. I'll try to do this as quickly as possible. We know the yud gilus rachamim go Hashem, Hashem, Kale, Rachum, Vechanun, Erech, right? So here goes. Says the Shalom. The first word is Hashem. Well, that's an easy one. The first of the 13 principles is the existence of Hashem. So the first word of the, the 13 principles of, of Rachamim, or 13 measures, is Hashem. That reflects the first principle of faith, which is the existence of Hashem. The second word is Hashem again. right? We say it twice. Hashem, Hashem. The, so the second one is, is Achdus Hashem, the oneness of Hashem. And he, you know, he goes into it, why Kabbalistically, the first Hashem, the second Hashem, each one. But in short, the first Hashem represents the, enter, the existence of Hashem. And the next word Hashem represents the oneness of Hashem. So that's Hashem, Hashem. The third word is Kale. Mm-hmm. Right? Hashem, Hashem, Kale. 
Kale represents the strength of Hashem. Kale uh, is, is strength. The word Kale is connected with strength. Says the Shalom. He says, the human is weak. Why are we weak? Because we have a body. And our body is susceptible and our body is limited. So our weakness comes from the physical side of who we are. We're weak because of our body. If we're if there's no body, there's nothing that's weak. The spirit is not weak. Yeah, but you can't accomplish anything either. Well, if you're human. If you're human. So we need our body. And we're not against bodies. We're not anti-bodies here. But Hashem who has no form of body whatsoever, is kale, is the ultimate of strength. And that's how the third word of the Yud Gil connects with the third principle of Ein Loguf. Hashem has no body, he's not corporal in any way, and therefore kale, he has that ultimate strength. Yeah, but how does kale mean Rachamim then? No, no, no. It's your given midos rachamim. Okay, because so how is kale okay, so we're not gonna we're not gonna show now how each one of these is rachamim. We're just talking about the thirteen me, thirteen names of rach of rachamim. I wanted to know that. That's, okay. that's the next class. Um, <laughs> I just might not be here for that one. Okay, so I don't have to learn. But here, what he's going through is the thirteen names and how they connect to the thirteen emuna, um, um, uh, right? Thirteen uh, principles of emuna. Okay, number. Four. What's the next word? Hashem, Hashem, Kale, Rachum. Right? So that's the one that's clearly Rachum. And that connects with number four, which is Hashem is the very, very first entity. Right? One who's the, the very first entity um, out of his Rachamim creates and cares for everything else. Typically, who has the rach? The Rachamim is the one who's greater and higher and perceives and made everything and is responsible for everything, shows Rachmanus. Mm-hmm. Like a Rachmanus is a, a parent has Rachmanus for their children because you know they're their children and they bring them into being and they bring them up. Hashem being the ultimate Kadmon, the ultimate before everything and the cause for everything. So that Rachamim causes him to create everything and causes him to care for everything and be um, and, and, and be there for everything. Mm-hmm. And that's how the, the fact that Hashem is the Kadmon, is the initial being, connects with Hashem being the ultimate Rachum, the one who has mercy and everything that comes after him and from him. Mm-hmm. Okay, number five. Hashem, Hashem, Kel, Rachum, V'chanun. What does Chanun mean? Graciousness. That he's gracious. What's the fifth of the principles of faith? That he's the one who we should... Uh, daven to, serve, turn to, because he's the giver. He's the chanun, he's the gracious one, he's the one who responds, and therefore he's the one to reserve, we look to, we pray to, we ask of, we recognize that we're dependent on him because of his chanun that's connected to his graciousness and giving nature. That is number five. Okay? Number six. Hashem, Hashem, Kel, Rachum, V'chanun, Erech That goes together. Erech literally means... Slow to anger? Slow to anger, right? And he has, he has like very, um, like a long, what's the word? He's able to forgive and, um, and, and slow to anger. And he says, interesting, what's principle of faith number six? The truth of Nevi'im? Nevi'im, Nevi'im, right? Now, Nevi'im is that Hashem gives a person divine power and divine... Hashem sort of shears himself the human being. Now, a human being, even a tzaddik, is imperfect in the face of Hashem. He's human. 
So for Hashem to shear himself, so to speak, with a human being, comes from Hashem's erach apayim, from Hashem's ability to understand that they're human, so there's going to be some fault, there's going to be some imperfection, and yet Hashem, in his slow to anger, and his length of... Um, I don't think slow to anger is, is enough of a translation, mm-hmm. but his ability to, to be... Um, you know, I guess, I guess, not to be angry, not to be upset, not to patience. be uh, patience. So Hashem has that level of patience with a human being to allow a human being to ascend from level to level to be worthy of being a navi for Hashem that Hashem can rest within that person. That's how He connects the shalom nivua with arachapayim. And then next, Hashem, Hashem, Kel, Rachum, Vechanun, arachapayim. The Rav Chesed, the great Chesed of Hashem, is number seven, the Nevuah of Moshe Rabbeinu. That Hashem took someone, again a human being, and brought him to that level of closeness to Hashem. That's that tremendous, that great Chesed uh, that Hashem gives, that which is, he says, totally beyond nature. That Hashem should bring a human being to a level exalted that's above human and above nature. That's the Rav Chesed of Hashem to create such a human being to be able to be a conduit between Hashem and ourselves and be able to give us the Torah and so on. That's the Rav Chesed. Is Moshe on the level of a Malach? Uh, much higher than a Malach. Obviously, but I'm just saying that kind of a level. Yeah, Moshe Rabbeinu is the only human being that says he went 40 days and 40 nights and spent time with Hashem and didn't eat or sleep or drink. You know, So Moshe had a, an inhuman capability. right? Okay, number eight. Where are we holding in our Yud Gimel? Let's go through it again. Hashem, Hashem, Kale, Rachum, Vechanun, Erech Apayim, Rav Chesed, the MS. That's going to be an easy one. What's number eight in the principles Torah, of faith? The truth of Torah. That Torah is from heaven. It's true. It's not man-made. There's nothing new in it. And that, he says, the MS. The MS of Torah is the MS of Hashem. And that's why it coincides perfectly that the eighth one of the Yud Gilmudah Sarachmim is MS, coinciding with the eighth principle of faith, which is the MS of Torah, that Torah is Min HaShamayim. Okay, number nine. Notzer Chesed La'alafim. That Hashem keeps the kindness going. La'alafim is for thousands of years, right? La'alafim is for thousands of years. Says he, that is the nitzchiyus, the everlasting net nature of Torah. The words notzer chesed alafim, that the kindness of Hashem is for thousands of years. Thousands of years means not just 1,000, 2,000. It, it's throughout the millennium. Throughout, exactly. Throughout the thousands of years that we have. So the, the everlasting nature of Torah is connected with Hashem's um, midah of notzer chesed alafim, that His kindness, His goodness is forever, is for all the thousands of years of millennia. Okay. We're out of breath. Hashem, Hashem, Kel, Rachel, Machanon, Erechapayim, Rav, Chesed, the MS, Noser Chesed, Lalafin. Okay, now we have Nosei, Avon, Vafesha. That's really two Avon and Pesha. So it's really two that are telling us Hashem's ability to, um, to handle sin um, and iniquity. So he says that is ten and eleven of the fa- of, of our principle of faith, which are that Hashem knows everything that's going on, and that Hashem punishes and rewards. 
that's no say avon vefesha. That Hashem sees our sins and He sees what we do and He deals with it. So there, there's the knowledge that He's on top of it and that He deals with it. So there's the sinful behavior and if He's punishing the sinful behavior, that means He's going to reward the positive behaviors. So He says, no say avon vefesha. Again, that's two, that's ten and eleven, which are the knowledge and the acting on that knowledge, the knowledge of everything going on, excuse me, as well as the acting upon that knowledge and rewarding and punishing accordingly. That is 10 and 11. 12 and 13 is interesting how he does it. Um, if we're, hold, we're holding at the very end of the Pasuk, what comes after? No say avoma fesha, vechata'a vinake. Okay. Vechata'a also means sin. But, the, the word chet is a sin that is accidental. Like a carbon chatas is an accidental sin. Avon vafesha is sin that's on purpose. Chet is accidental. And he says something interesting. When Mashiach will come, there everything that we did wrong throughout history, all of our virus, our tshuva will be accepted and it will be counted as if it was all accidental. Because when Mashiach will come, what's going to be revealed is how really we didn't want to sin. It's just that, you know, Golos got to us. You know, we were confused. It was such a confusing situation. And we all know the confusions of Golos and the difficulties of Golos. So when Mashiach comes, at that point, everything will be just, that was all one big mistake. It was why it was accidental. Nobody meant to do anything wrong. That will be when Mashiach will come. That's Vechata'a. That's Vechata'a. So therefore, number 12... Number 12 is the principle of the coming of Mashiach is reflected in the 12th of the measures of, of, uh, of Rachamim, which is v'chata, that all the pishaim, all the, um, the sins that were done with, with negative intention, all turn into chata'a. When Mashiach will come, it will be clear how all of that was only accidental and therefore ultimately we won't be held accountable for it. But that brings us to the last one, which is v'nakei, which is total cleansing of sin. That will be batchias hamesim. That's the final step. After Mashiach's coming, that's number one. Then everything will turn into accidental. But after already you have the concept of batchias hamesim, the resurrection of the dead, that will be the full picture. Then not only will all sins be um, downgraded, so to speak, to accidental, but v'nakei, everything will be fully cleansed. And that will be by the final stretch, so to speak, after the second... Um, in the second period of time after Mashiach comes by the resurrection of the dead, then will be the full cleansing of all type of negativity that there is in this world. Because there won't be rachatum at all, there won't be any spirit of impurity, so then there'll be full cleansing. And that's how the Shalah HaKadosh sees in the Yud Gimel Midas HaRachamim the 13 principles of our Emunah. So um, we'll stop with that for now. Let's turn this off.